0: Sort of thick and thin hoops where ball is always life i'm your host karthik here with my co-host nitin what's good nitin
1: what's up dude the big the big news in, in nba circles this week is that uh me and you are actually going to be attending a big fat indeed oh, i mean nba circles one of our buddies from booth getting married down in key biscayne florida so we're going to be kicking it this weekend for the listeners who have not been to one of these productions, this thing is starting on Thursday, going for 72 hours of madness. And you and I actually have, uh three very complicated Indian dance songs to, to, to learn by Friday night time. Let's just start there from a basketball standpoint. How are you feeling? Most importantly, how are your knees as your Achilles feel? Cause all of these are going to come into play here tonight, this weekend.
0: It's a good question, man. I don't know. I've, uh, I'm actually going to start practicing right after this podcast. So we'll see how the <laughs> knees hold up. Some of the bungra moves in there, if, you know, for anyone who, who knows Bhangra, it gets a little, uh, it does put a lot of stress on those knees. So we'll see after I, I go through the round today.
1: I think 77% of our audience knows what bungra is most likely. <laughs> but um, But yeah, so I think you start slow, get some braces on, but make sure you ice right after. That's the key. Cause this the choreo has got us bouncing up and down more than I have since we were clubbing in Chicago in 2017. So we'll see what happens,
0: yeah. But it, it'll be fun, you know. It's it's uh, I feel like I saw you just what
1: when did I see you last?
0: Just uh, well, the
1: bachelor party, bachelor party,
0: uh, right? Right, just a couple months ago, so
1: Ooh. um. One more failed uh, opportunity for a live show coming up, which we're thrilled to to announce ahead of time this time versus afterwards.
0: I was actually thinking about it. I was like, is there any possibility? And this is probably the worst weekend to even try to make it happen. Um, You
1: get two seconds to breathe, and then it's put on a different kurta and get out there.
0: Yeah, I was thinking maybe we could, you know, the Sangeet right outside the venue, you know, before things pop (laughs) off, you think we can do a little live pod? No,
1: but right um, next to the alu chat stand to start (laughs) recording.
0: But no, I'm, I'm excited, man. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to hanging out with all our old buddies. Um, it's going to be a good weekend. And you were just in Florida for a wedding. Like, literally, this is deja vu for you. You were in Florida for this weddings a- this past weekend. You're
1: back on the East Coast or back in uh, Virginia, right? Repeat performance for me this weekend. But back in Virginia, why? So that I could go to Nets Wizards on Monday night, which was really the highlight of these whole two-week experiences Forget the weddings, forget all the fun and friends. It was Nets Wizards watching the beale less Wizards get absolutely pummeled by Durant and Kyrie. Took well, my dad with, the, cher- with the
0: cherry blossom
1: courts and jerseys. Right, I'm sure you appreciated that looking fresh. So it's funny because, it's funny because I liked the jerseys when I saw them, but then you get to the stadium and the level of pink is absolute madness. <laughs> like everything is pink: the court, the jumbotron. They passed out these floral bags for everyone, like almost like a tote bag that was designed like the Cherry Blossom Crew. So all three of us got our bags, were in our seats. Like the shirts that they were flying around with the T-shirt toss were all pink. Like it was, (laughs) it was like uh, Legally Blonde three. I think I don't know how many Legally Blondes there are, but whatever the next iteration of that. That's what this game was. It's it's a lot at once.
0: Yeah, man, I can only imagine. But, I mean, for you, it must have been great to see, you know, your other favorite – your favorite player, essentially, Kevin
1: Durant. Um, That's right. And my new favorite, Kyle Kuzma. <laughs> Kyle Kuzma, yeah. No, but he, by the way, a funny thing quickly on the jerseys. You know how we've complained all year about these ridiculous combinations that each of the teams are wearing to the point that you don't know who's playing who? This couldn't be more prevalent last night where, like I mentioned, we're in all pink gear – and the Nets are wearing red, white, and blue, which are exactly <laughs> our colors. Like they had to choose this game to pull out their like sort of retro uniforms, which again are from the nineties. I get that those are real uniforms, but why would that be the choice you make versus when you're playing the Wizards? Like maybe if you go play the Celtics or something, sure, put those on, nobody cares. But the one team who has that exact color scheme, I didn't understand it.
0: Yeah, that's that's been the theme for the last couple of seasons. Um, it, it's like they're trying to to throw you off. By
1: picking colors of the opposite team, I thought KD was a wizard, which is something I've been under the impression of since 2016. You were so, out there squinting, you know.
0: just like imagining, like, "Oh, what would it be yeah. like?" I know, I know. <laughs> Kinda exactly
1: looks like he's receiving that pass from Wall right now.
0: And and you talk about uh, Kyle Kuzma, but you're ready to. Sh- you're already been putting him in trade proposals to the Kings. So don't act like you've been, you know. Now really my guy appreciating is appreciating what he's doing there.
1: Kyle Kuzma is my, my buddy who's a Wizards fan. He, he phrased it best. He's like a, he's got, he's like RJ Barrett with a bigger green light right now. Um, Slightly better efficiency, but overall this dude is chucking every time down the court and he's getting his numbers. You know, I think he's averaging like 20 and eight or 20 and seven or something like that. So he's actually playing well, 21 and eight. Yeah. It's pretty solid, but on a to night basis, like last night, for example, I think he took 21 or 22 shots. He took like 10 threes. He's the whole offense when Porzingis isn't on the floor and when Beal's been hurt. And if you can imagine, you're running an entire NBA offense through Kyle Kuzma. It doesn't lead to great results. And lo and behold, we've lost 9 out of 10 games. <laughs> so, who would have thought that... Dude, i complained... Sorry, I have to say this as well because I have a lot of thoughts flowing after that game... I've complained a lot about Johnny Davis, who, by the way, is getting, like, roughed up in the G League right now. Again, for reminder's sake, he was the 10th overall pick in last year's draft. We were starting a G League player last night and played another G League guy on a two-way contract, like, 20 minutes. Both guards. Both point guards. And we couldn't bring up... And Beal, again, is injured. And we still couldn't find minutes for Johnny Davis. And the worst part is, it wasn't the wrong move. It was the right move. Oh, my goodness. So... It's it's a we had a little bit of promise to start the season. Like I said, Porzingis has continued to play well, but it is all out disaster. We're about to like I said, we lost nine out of ten and we're about to start the West Coast trip.
0: That is brutal. How's your grab bag of forwards doing? You know, your Rui, Denny, Kispert. They do they show you anything when you watch them.
1: The Nets? Well, so Brooklyn, you know No, no, not the Nets on the Wizards. Oh, I'm sorry. I my audio. I messed up. Kisper, Rui, Denny, they all suck. Rui's been
0: hurt. Yeah, Ford's.
1: Yeah, we we drafted four Jags in a row in the draft. Um, so we picked ninth, ninth, fifteenth, and tenth. Those guys will never. I would be surprised if any of them ever averaged seventeen a game in their careers. (laughs) Combined, maybe. So. We're in a bad spot, but I think the only good thing—oh, wait, there are no good things. We just signed Bradley Beal to the second biggest contract in NBA history with the no-trade clause, so that's kind of where where things uh, currently exist in uh, in uh, DC. Why did I come back? I don't know.
0: You came back to see KD. That's the reason. This wasn't about that the is true. That's okay. We all know. Um, but but quick, quick, I want to get your thoughts on KD. So you mentioned just how amazing of an experience it was to watch him live. I've never actually watched him live. Um, Maybe talk about that a little bit. Take the focus off the Wizards.
1: Yeah, I'm getting frustrated. Um, So if you remember last year in the Celtics series, he shot, I think, 39% from the field. He was averaging like five turnovers a game. He was getting passed around between Tatum and Grant Williams and Horford, and they're all having like great success. And the reason why I was so confusing is because every time you watch Durant play, whether it's live or on TV, there's no defense really being played against him beyond doing your best to contest a shot that you can't actually reach, right? And so last night, he had an easy 30 points, right? Like he wasn't even going that hard in the second half when they built out the lead. He's a guy that isn't going to shoot 30 times a game. He's going to get to his 25 to 35 and have like six assists, eight boards, et cetera. Not really, you know trying to play outside of the flow of the game. And so the thing is everything he does is just too easy on the court. And then you watch live and you see, and we have pretty decent seeds. You see like how he's, even when he get looks like he's getting pushed off his spot, none of it matters, right? Because he's effectively just able to have such amazing balance in the air and then such ability to square up from no matter what angle he's at. It's not like a JJ Redick, I'm sprinting in one direction, going to turn around and throw up a three and it's going to go in, but it's more of like getting bumped, getting hit, still squaring up, still going glass, still getting that soft touch. It's amazing to watch it live. I think that, I mean, we've all criticized him for many fair reasons over the last five, 10 years, but that experience I still think is the purest basketball player that I've, I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree with you on that, no matter what their opinions of KD. But um, who who did you have guarding him? Was it Kuz for the most
1: part? Nah, it was Will Barton at <laughs> times. No wonder it was an easy 30. No, it was Denny, who's actually one of the best defenders in the league, believe it or not. like He's the only guy in top 10 of like on-ball, trailing, and help defense of like defensive rating individually. But then Danny doesn't play that much because he can't shoot at all. And so once we got into the switching, it was problematic. But that's the weird thing about NBA defense in today's day and age, right? You don't really go one-on-one against guys because no. there's so much movement. There's so much switching. Like when you really – like Giannis, for example, he doesn't actually ever guard anybody. Um, and so that's the thing. It's like we don't have great defenders for him, but he also is probably going to like hunt matchups pretty easily.
0: I mean, it's KD. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter who. He's going to shoot over whoever you put on him. Um, exactly. There's very few guys who are going to slow him down. But but that's cool, man. I mean, that's, that's a, that was a cool game to be at. Um, any other thoughts on, on Wizards?
1: No. I, think, I mean, they're on a
0: six, crazy slump.
1: So Sixth worst record in the league for a team that's trying to win, which is alarming they have a payroll that's about to get a lot more expensive when you think about upcoming extension for Kuzma, he's actually a free agent and Porzingis upcoming extension, he's going to be looking for a big deal and he's going to actually have probably the most uh, right to a new deal. I just we're never a team that's looking to tank because we have a stubborn owner and one of the worst owners in professional sports, but like you look at it and it's like Bradley Beal is on the wrong side of his career trajectory, right? The game has taken – his game has taken a toll. He's still effective within a role, but not within that star role. And they don't have any young guys to trade. So I don't know how we go get like – let's say just making things up entirely. right? Let's say Jason Tatum got totally brainwashed and hoodwinked by Beale to be like, you got to come to D.C., St. Louis Brothers for life, blah, blah, blah. Like the Celtics would laugh in our face for any offer for Tatum in the league, but especially the one that we could put together. There's nothing to even get – Fuck Tatum, there's nothing even to get Marcus Smart in a trade, honestly. That's how bad this this uh, cachet of assets are. So uh, I'm frustrated, but I'm um, resigned to the fact that this is our, our new destiny in the post-Wall era.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think this year, next year, unless I mean, you have pieces you can move, right? Kuzma is an asset. Porzingis has rebuilt his value. I, I don't know if you'd get rid of him if you're trying to be competitive, but he becomes an asset too. So there are moves. It's just a matter of whether ownership is willing to pull the trigger, because you'd have to commit to the rebuild at that point if you're going to be shipping off those guys. Exactly. And, and Beal, who knows how you how you move off of that contract? That
1: he has a no trade clause. Like, here's well, the yeah. Well, unless thing. he waives it. If
0: he if he waves it, he can obviously. Trade I'll tell it. you how crazy things
1: are getting. We're entertaining the fact of should we trade him to the Lakers for Russ and those two first. <laughs> <laughs> that package couldn't even get Buddy healed and Miles Turner like a month ago, and now we're like, do you want to give up Bradley Beal, the uh, the highest paid player in franchise history for him?
0: Yeah, you can't be doing that. Would,
1: would the Lakers do that? You think? Hundred percent.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Because even though Beal has not been obviously the player he was a couple of years ago, that's the kind of talent that they're not getting anywhere else. You take a swing right. on that, and you go down with this new version of AD. LeBron, who stills decent, and Beal, that's good enough to at least get you
1: in the playoffs. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, he's would look perfect on the Lakers. By the way, they could legitimately win a title if he's their third best player. No, that's what he's no. destined for. Beal's not the same guy. I don't think
0: they'd win a title well,
1: with. But Beal. you're not asking him to be the same guy. You're asking him to be the third fiddle behind a reju- rejuvenated AD and then whatever. Kind of version of LeBron that this exists. Yeah, I you know you're, you're a contender. Or maybe you're a top five
0: team. Who, who
1: in the who West the is really blowing your mind right now that they wouldn't be better than?
0: It's still Phoenix, uh, although Phoenix has been struggling. Um, Denver, Clippers with with a rejuvenated Kawhi. The Clippers put the smackdown against Boston.
1: That was a really impressive win. And Kawhi had like 25 on 10 of 12 shooting. Yeah. Um,
0: so I, I don't know. It's not see that, that
1: again, Like, early. Are we going to get that again from him in like early
0: January? That is, is to be seen. He might take a couple more weeks off before then. But I, I don't know, man. I don't think the path is that clear. I think if you're Washington, though, that is selling him at –
1: like, the absolute like,
0: lowest. Absolute yeah. lowest. You're taking back Westbrook. They're going to sell it as a Westbrook homecoming for the, what, couple of joyous months he brought you, taking you to the play-in tournament. But that would be a disaster. I
1: Yeah. I was thinking, by the way, like Phoenix, for example, they're getting boat raced by Houston. They've had, like you said, such an up-and-down year. There is one team that we are going to talk about, Pelicans, who have been downright awesome all season. But – and let's get to them in a second. I don't want to blow the lead, but if you did find a situation where that was the lineup, I just find it hard pressed to believe that that wouldn't get Russ. Uh, sorry, uh, you know, Davis and and LeBron back into playing like awesome every night. But the Lakers, the problem is they're still like so pedestrian around them. So maybe it wouldn't all matter.
0: I yeah I, I think the Lakers. I mean, look, dude, AD's been going absolutely balls to the wall this team is still several games under 500. I don't think
1: Beal magically solves under. all their issues. He just doesn't. So, Okay, so moving from one colossal disappointment in the East to another, you saw another East Coast team live or Eastern Conference team live, I should say, one near and dear to your heart, my heart, while watching your squad. So let's talk about the Chicago Bulls next up. Um, you were there for Kings Bulls, correct? Yeah. Kings, Oops. Bulls. So the Bulls are now 11 and 15. And worse off than the Wizards, who have a top – a lottery-protected pick out to the Knicks, meaning they'll likely keep it. The Bulls have a top-four protected pick out to the Magic and what's turning out to be one of the worst trades of the last 25 years, which is Nikola Vucevic for um, Wendell Carter – the pick that ended up being, who, by the way, is better than Vucevic on his own. The pick that ended up being Franz Wagner, who looks like a bonafide number two or number three long term. And again, potentially a top five or 10 pick coming this season. So let's talk about the Bulls. What have you seen with them and, and sort of where do they go from here, given they just built this thing into, you know, sort of the post-Jimmy Butler era uh, version of a playoff team?
0: Yeah, so when we went to the game, when I went with a couple of buddies, we... Ran into Vooch in the hotel. Actually, there's a hotel right next to the arena where all the players stay, and so we ran into him going up to the elevator. Um, so, and then we also saw Goran Dragic chilling in the lobby, and this was like up until like an hour, hour and a half of the game. He's just sitting there, not getting shots up, not getting warmed up, just sitting in the lobby talking to a couple guys, and that's when I knew, you know this this team. They aren't locked in, man. I think this team, the, the the culture, the attitude from the players, you can see it on the court. It's very ISO heavy, which they've always been with Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, but there's no semblance of a system. There's no semblance of this combination of players working. And I think that the Vooch trade, like you said, it's it's been an unmitigated disaster in a lot of ways because even their success last season was not really driven by what Vooch was doing. It was really... DeRozan kind of antics, and and same with Zach Levine, rode those two guys to the playoffs. They started off super hot last year, crumbled towards the end. And I think when you watch them, it, it's the same story. It's the only way they generate offense is ISO. Uh, DeRozan getting to the free-throw line, Zach Levine making big shots, and it's just not sustainable. And Vooch is, has become... He was a turnstile on defense. He's not providing them anything on offense, right? In Orlando at his peak, he was an offensive machine for that team. And I just don't think he's a a shell of himself right now. This team, man, and you know what the funny thing is? I actually thought that they made the right decision in going all in with these kind of second-tier players, right? There was a big question at the time. Does it make sense? You're going to be a middling playoff team. I thought, why not? But at the same time, now with their pick going this year, um, a lot of the DeRozan's older, Vooch has no trade value. I don't know what the path is for them to become better. So, this is kind of a team in, in in a weird area where I don't know what their next step is.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the numbers, right, DeRozan is still having a great year. He's 26-5-5, five and five, but last year he was, like, legendary, right? Remember, he had a streak of 35-point games that hadn't been matched since, like, Michael Jordan in Chicago. So, it was, was kind of like one of those surreal out-of-body experiences. Now he's still very, very good. I think he has a real all-star candidacy, but before it was like, is this guy an MVP candidate? Um, Zach Levine, you know, twenty-two, five and four on OK shooting. Except he was even better last year. He has this knee problem, which is very scary for a guy they just gave two hundred fifteen million dollars contract to. And then you have Vucevic, who again numbers look okay, but like you said, not providing much of anything on either end. When at least he was that twenty and twelve guy, twenty and thirteen guy, you could take your lumps in the playoffs, knowing that he would drag you there and win you a lot of close games. That's not happening. And the biggest problem of all of this is Patrick Williams, the number four pick in the 2020 draft, now in year three. I'm not sure if he's a guy. Um, like he's shooting 44% from three, but only three attempts a game. He's been solid defensively, you know, but you look at him and it's like, is it just a lack of opportunity? Is it a lack of aggression? Does he not have the moves package to really create his own looks, which I think is a big problem here, right? He's turned into a catch-and-shoot player where I think they thought he would be a little bit more dynamic off the ball at this stage of his career. And that was the one trade chip they had. Like, if you remember the Lakers when AD was really struggling and there was some relatively, you know, let's call it stupid conversation about should they move on from Davis and try to just sell high on him. Uh, This was kind of before his ridiculous stretch where he was throwing up like 40 and 20s every night. The Bulls were mentioned because AD is from Chicago, and they were like, Patrick Williams, Vucevic, Caruso, Picks. It's like, that's not enough because what's the carrot, right? And we just talked about the Wizards, how they don't have a carrot. Now, Patrick Williams is the best prospect on either of those teams, but he's still not generating you anything related to a star-level player. Um, So their only hope for now is either you trade the other guys and really blow it up and try to go for a top-four pick, or you grit your teeth and give up another top 10 pick. Maybe it's 9, 10, 11. You don't want to do that. But you're stuck in no man's land. Because given how bad some of the teams are at the bottom of the, the standings. Pistons, Magic, Spurs, etc. You're going to, have to be a hard pressed to guarantee yourselves a top 4 pick. And then what you're probably going to do is give up assets. And give up your pick in like this cruel like, twist of fate. So, like you said, there's no clear path for you right now. Um, but... Staying the course doesn't feel like it's going to work. You, you you either either have to try to consolidate, sell low on Patrick Williams, just do anything you can to get off the Busevich deal and try to find someone else who's a little bit more of a rim protector, like a Busevich, Pat Williams, something for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, you know, the famous package that we're sending all around the league. Or, you know, you get rid of Jamar, you get rid of Levine, And you really pull the cord on this. And the guy we haven't even mentioned, by the way, Lonzo Ball, just signed a new contract last year, and he hasn't played since January. And he had a meniscus tear, which is considered at the time a six-week injury. He's had multiple surgeries, multiple complications, and who knows when we're ever going to see him again. He's already thrown out statements like, I don't think this is a season-ending injury, which, by the way, is not what you want to hear. That's what they told us about Zion at Media Day last year. So. Um, they're in a world of trouble and I don't see a way out right now.
0: Lonzo also said he has trouble doing everyday things like walking upstairs and like the the way he painted the picture around his injury. Is is... that a bad thing?
1: (laughs) You think he can dance this weekend with with those knees? Yeah, right. He actually would not be able to do the dance this weekend, which is I think all you need to know about his current state of affairs.
0: Um, But yeah, man, Lonzo's a big – Big loss for them. I mean, he was, he meant so much to that team. And look, Caruso, at the end of the day, Caruso, as much attention as he gets because of what he did with the Lakers and how good he is defensively, he's not moving the needle for them anyway. You look down, up and down this roster, there's just not enough talent. And I think they have to, they have to pull the trigger on DeRozan trades, on Levine trades. There's no moves they can make on the fringes that is really going to fundamentally improve this team. So, um, yeah, I I don't know, but uh, I will say Zach Levine in person is is so much fun to watch. He is. Did he just, do anything crazy? I mean, dunks, like shooting, everything. Right? He put up he put up a big game against us, but just his ability to get to the rim, he floats. He's your prototypical shooting guard, right? When you talk about the hyper athletic shooting guard, like the Kobe mold. I think Zach Levine, in that sense, is super fun to watch in person.
1: He saved it all for you, knowing that uh, you're a UCLA alum and you're going to come see him once he, in uh, a yeah. blue moon. So he's like, I'll take nine games off with my sore knee and then really come and bring it after that. He
0: had to put on a show,
1: yep. So, um, yeah, I think the the the, the interesting thing is <laughs> – they've always been one of the small uh, big market teams that runs themselves like a small market team, right? Jerry Reinsdorf has chronicled in the last dance and for a long time is one of the cheapest owners in sports. And so they're never really going to go all in, in the way that I think Bulls fans would expect them to for a franchise of that type of, you know, lore. But at this stage, I think I would advise them to to go the other direction. Um, As much as it would hurt to get rid of Levine, who was, kind of thought as an afterthought in that Jimmy Butler trade and has blossomed like crazy. You want to keep guys like that? I, I just I'm struggling to see the path and I think with how loaded the East is like even a team like the Knicks, by the way look pretty good. Like Julius Randle has kind of reclaimed some of his magic from a couple years ago. Like Jalen Brunson's been a really good signing. In fact, the only mistake they've made maybe was giving RJ Barrett a monstrous contract for being an inefficient chucker. So I think the Knicks, for example, are a team I would rather be right now than the Bulls. And so if you're behind them in the pecking order, then not to mention all the other squads ahead of them, then it's it's a tough sell. But right now they're 11th. Um, You know, Maybe they talk themselves into, look, let's get in the play-in and let's just count on our stars to really put together two monster performances. But (laughs) I don't know that those guys have it in them.
0: Yeah, you know the play-in. I don't see... I mean, Indiana... I think will fall out eventually. So Chicago will make the play-in unless they do anything drastic. But Atlanta, Toronto, these are the other teams right now. New York who would be in that play-in mix. They're not better than any of them. So, yeah, man. It's uh, it's not looking great for Chicago. But I don't know. What's the pulse out there? You're Mr. Chicago. Tell me.
1: Is, is there any buzz around this team? Do people care? None. I think people are hyped right now about Justin Fields and the fact that He has like a 55-yard rushing TD every week, um, even though they lose every week because he breaks down in the fourth quarter, but that seems to be ignored uh, in the calculus. And then, uh, you know, honestly, I think the Bulls have come back to being a bit of an afterthought, which is sort of how they were after the Derrick Rose era, and that's what's really worrisome here. Yeah. the Blackhawks are still not good. The the Bears obviously aren't, and the Cubs aren't. It's just a sad town right now. And we have the winter coming up, so it's about to get five times sadder. <laughs> um, and so nobody's going to know what to do. Nobody's going to know how to react to anything. It's, it's, it's a bad scene here, man. Yeah, I can only imagine. The Bulls, remember I told you I went courtside, though, to that preseason game? Yeah. That was before the year started, so we didn't know that it was going to turn out like this, and they ended up, that was like a fun game. Everyone was into it. Um, And then they ended up, you know, coming out of the gates really strong. I think the weirdest thing is they're actually eighth in defense, which is not bad, but it's been an anemic offense. They're 20th. Um, and I don't know how that gets better without a healthy Levine. And I don't know if he can get healthy in the, in, in season while he's playing every night. So the knee is just not going to suddenly start feeling better. Um, I know he had a procedure this summer. Maybe that requires more work next summer, and suddenly you have three knee injuries, uh, three surgeries on the same knee, and then you're into territory of being a little scared of that five-year deal.
0: And they can't afford to sit him either if they're trying to play for the plan because if they sit him any
1: extended amount of time, they're toast. So Right, exactly, exactly. So, um yeah, man. So that's, that's uh, Chicago. But let's go out west because those teams are a little depressing. Let's talk about the number one seed, uh, New Orleans Pelicans, who, you know, they were, if you remember, they were, what, 3-16 and 16 to start the year last year. Mm-hmm. Everyone is like, the Zion experience is dead. He's hurt. He's never coming back. They should just trade him now before, you know, before they give him up for uh, – You know, before his valued torpedoes, et cetera, et cetera. Yet, how is it that, you know, they go get CJ McCollum, Willie Greens in year one, and they make this huge recovery into, you know, pretty competitive first round loss to Phoenix, but ultimately 4-2 in round one. You don't necessarily know what you can build off of that. Zion is back. They look insane. Um, This is with Brandon Ingram missing 10 games. This is with Herb Jones missing time. C.J. McCollum's been out here and there. Even Zion hasn't played for parts of this season. So the Pelicans, I mean, you know, the thing I would start with is they're third defensively. Um, and a lot of people were sitting there questioning everyone on their roster's defensive capability, short of Herb Jones and maybe uh, Jose Alvarado. But certainly the main guys on the team, the ones who play a lot of the minutes. And you look at them now, and they're third defensively. Like They're the second best through defending the three-point line. Um, they are the sixth best or eighth best uh total rebounding team, and so they're grabbing boards, they're protecting the glass. Um, they're fifth in opponent turnovers, so they're turning the ball, they're turning teams over, and so across the board, all the different things you'd like to see out of them, they're producing, and then you have a a really impressive return by Zion back to superstardom. Uh, his numbers were a little slow to begin the year. Now he's up to 25 and seven, shooting 61% from the field. Destroying teams uh, all over the court. So, thoughts on the Pelicans is this sustainable here at eighteen and eight and first in the West.
0: First of all, let me do my victory lap because you clowned on me so hard at the end of last year for the way I was celebrating that first round loss to Phoenix. Um, and I said, look, this is a this Pelicans team has built something with Willie Green as their coach. They've got a great foundation. With Zion back, this team is going to be formidable. And you laughed and you laughed and you're like, oh, you acted like they won the championship. Well, this team is for real, man. It's here to stay. And I think you you mentioned all the metrics. Defensively, they're awesome. But I think the, the thing that ultimately matters the most is they have found the right way to play Zion. Um, and Willie Green has kind of unlocked the best of Zion. And yeah. his stats, I mean, he's averaging, what, 25 a game. Doesn't jump out necessarily, but you know his first couple years in the league, we saw Point Zion, we saw him sharing the floor with other bigs, and he still does that to an extent. But this year, you know, there's a stat: forty-six percent of his minutes have been at center, and that was compared to eight percent as a rookie, and then five percent his last healthy season.
1: So they're Mm -hmm. playing
0: him way more um, in that center role as the lone big man in a lot of their lineups. Um, Obviously, they have Valanchunas there, who's an integral part of their rotation. But he, in that center position, he is just a force offensively. Not only when he's uh, playing with the ball, but off ball, his ability to cut, his ability with that size and speed at the five position, um, it's just made them a very good... I know their numbers offensively aren't as good as the numbers defensively, but I think... They have found the right way to play. And because of that, you're right. They've missed games from Brandon Ingram. He's also taken a dip in his production. He's not the same player he was last couple of years. CJ McCullough missed nine games. But I think this this team has an identity now and a way to play offensively that is helping them sustain the success. And I think the biggest uh, thing to me was the way they played Phoenix on that back-to-back. They won that first game, right? And it was controversial because of the Zion dunk at the end and the chirping from the Phoenix bench. You would they think,
1: chirped too much.
0: Yeah, they were. But you'd think the next game would be a letdown and Phoenix would come back and win those. And we typically see that with a lot mm-hmm. of these back-to-backs. Um, but it didn't happen. They stomped them again. And Phoenix has their own set of issues. But I just think that I'm confident that this team is actually here to stay and that they've built something They're gonna be a top three team in the West. Maybe not number one, but top three when all said is done. When all said and done. They
1: just they just fit perfectly, right? Because not just from the lineup standpoint, like you mentioned, but from a swagger standpoint, from a skill level standpoint. Like Ingram is the ideal two. CJ is the ideal three. Last year, Ingram was being the one. Both in Portland as well as last year, CJ was the two. Valentinus is really like a four, and I don't mean positional, I mean uh like sort of hierarchy on the team. And Zion, we all had to see, okay, he was putting up the production of a one in his second year in the league. Of course, he was at all of his third year, but was it going to be holding up defensively? This year he's coming back to the production offensively and has not been, you know, a liability uh defensively. And and to your point, especially logging all these minutes at center without giving up a ton at the rim, you know, plus on-off numbers are nuts. Like his 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 sort of O rating versus D rating is a plus fifteen. And I think what this has really allowed them to do in terms of the move to center or the the half shift to center, let's call it is it's allowed them to function without a true point guard on the court because you have so many creators Um, like, you know, both him uh, CJ and Brandon Ingram are all averaging over four assists a game. You throw an Alvarado 3.2, even a guy like Dyson Daniels who's such an impressive rookie 2.4. So You're in a position where you're passing the ball efficiently. They're sixth in the league in assists, but they're not doing it with any sort of, it's true, it's almost like a running back by committee situation where you have a good O-line. It's exactly that, where they're all making plays, they're all cutting, moving, shooting. And you know Valanchunas, to his credit, has been awesome this year in limited minutes, but he's playing the fewest minutes he's played in four seasons because they just haven't needed him as much and they want to try more of the small ball lineup, which has not broken down defensively to, to this day. I really wonder when you think about like, you know, we were chatting the other day over text, like maybe I'm always guilty of this. It's like, okay, what's next? How do you get better? How do you go for it versus just letting things play out and taking a beat for a second. But you look at their roster and you really think about holes and it's hard to find any, right? Even guys like Trey Murphy, Jose Alvarado, uh, Larry Nance, Dyson Daniels, these are the perfect players off the bench for them. Plus you have a healthy Herb Jones and and uh, Brandon Ingram coming back at some point. Like, do they need to do anything or should they just let this go and really like, even if you think this could be their year to make a run, to at least make a conference finals run, which I certainly think is in the realm of possibility. Do you see any needs for this team or is it let Zion continue to cook, continue to get comfortable and go from there?
0: No, that's a good question. I honestly think they let it run uh, because, you know, a guy like Jose Alvarado, um, at the end of the day, he has a bigger impact from uh, what you see. And, you know, his stats don't show necessarily the impact that he's having. And, you know, he only averages, what, nine a game. But he dropped 38 the other night. He is the really the the defensive catalyst for them. He's that swagger that they have. He kind of contributes to that. And I think every team needs a guy like that. Like, I've seen that with the Kings, especially these young, growing teams that are ascending. When you have a Davion Mitchell who just plays lights out defense every game, or um, a culture guy like Malik Monk, that matters. And I think they've got the right mix of players and the right mix of, uh, you know, they've got some veterans Valentinus, CJ McCollum—but and and Ingram is a veteran at this point too, and young guys. And I think when you're playing well, when everyone is in a has that swagger, you don't disrupt it too much. I think you play it out, see what this team can be, how far can they go, and then reevaluate in the offseason. I think if you try to make any drastic moves now, um, look, you're first in the West. Yes. Can you be better? Absolutely. This team, is. are they going to win the title? No. But I think you need to play out the season before you figure out what is the right
1: move to make. Well the other thing that's interesting is like if they wanted to loop together some contracts they could put together like a Devonte Graham, a Jackson Hayes, you know, Kira Lewis, get up to 20 22 million without touching their main core. The issue isn't necessarily about giving up your guys that are playing right now, it's taking out their roles in the rotation, right? The nice thing about what they have is they have the one of the best maybe the number 1 behind or maybe number Three in the league, I'd say, behind Houston and Oklahoma City in terms of cash of draft picks. They have all these picks still coming from the Lakers. A couple have converted. They have an unprotected one this year. They have – or a swap this year, I believe. And the Lakers, maybe that's a top five or ten pick. Then you have the uh, the Barks picks, which, again, aren't phenomenal, back half of the first round, but still something you can add as a sweetener. They could go make a trade without touching their top eight. Um I'm just trying to think about who that player is. Because even a guy like you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, Jose Alvarado, he was on the scene as that caricature at first, right? Grand Theft, Alvarado, let me come from behind, steal the ball, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, all right, that's cute, but that's not consistent over 82 games. Now he's turned into one of the better backup point guards in the league. And based on the point guard play I saw last night in DC, he would probably be our starter and play 35 <laughs> minutes a night. So... um I just think it's interesting um, that you know they're probably a year earlier than they wanted to be. Like they were thrown around in some of those Durant trade rumors, uh, and they weren't willing to include include Ingram for them. Um, Can you imagine this team with Durant next to Zion? But separate conversation. I just think you don't want to be a year. You want to. You don't want to to have it be your window and think you're a year early. Right, and then have it miss it or ha- lose a year that you could potentially contend for a title. But I think it's still a little a little too soon. Um, so I'm with you. I think you just sit pat and do nothing.
0: Yeah. The only only problem is C.J. is not the poster child of health. Yeah. Jonas Valanciunas has a lot of miles on him. Right. They do have some of these guys that they rely on that aren't spring chickens. So do you make a move sooner than later? But I, I just think that ride this for now and the season's young dude you're you're gonna see i think they need to play through through the end of the season to really understand what they have here and how what potential it has and you're right they already have a treasure chest chest of assets so it's not like the the cupboard is barren and they need to kind of pull the trigger on some desperation moves they they have assets they can play the waiting game at least until the offseason
1: And the interesting thing is, like, people forget, like, CJ was just traded for last year, right? Zion didn't even play until this season. So, And then now you've gotten guys that are hurt. So, for example, if you look at McCollum, Ingram, and Zion, they barely played that much together. Um, So we haven't even really seen what this version of the team looks like. Um, Like, I'm even looking, like, Brandon, Ingram, if you look at just their three-man lineups, Ingram, McCollum, and Zion are their 13th most played lineup and they've only played 171 minutes together in those periods of time they are plus uh 15.6 points for 100 possessions and so you think about it like okay well these are going to be three of our five crunch time guys and they're killing teams when they're on the floor why wouldn't we allow this to play out um and it just hasn't you know hasn't played that much because of injuries and so Ingram also gets banged up a lot, actually, and yep. so does Zion. So maybe we have more than just CJ and and, and Valentine's just to worry about. I I just love how fluid they play. Like you know, they're going against the Jazz tonight, and the Jazz are still competitive, falling off a little bit since you know since that early start. But I think a lot like this is a game that they're going to put away, in my opinion. Right, they're going to win this because they just are taking care of business when they're when they're uh, when it's out there for them. And I thought, like you said, the Suns back to back was really a good testament they've had a couple other wins like that where you're just like damn this is impressive i I think they took brooklyn out once and others so yeah man i'm i didn't think it was going to arrive here i'm a zion fan but i was skeptical about where he was going to be health wise and then he took that extension very quickly and you're like is this a sign of him grabbing the money like everyone else or a sign of where he thinks of his body and where he thinks of his longevity but for now so far so good
0: yeah what i'll what i'll say about zion too is i i think so last season, you know, everyone runs away with a narrative of does he care about his conditioning? This guy's hurt again, right? Why doesn't he get in shape? And I think all the interviews we heard this off season, all the um, he seems like a genuine he's just a kid, right? I think he's got a lot of expectations on his shoulders. He acknowledged his own challenges, right? And he wants to be better. And I think he's shown that this year. He came in great shape. He's playing the best basketball so far of his young career. Um, I think the Pelicans are just a good story because it's a small market team that had their franchise star bully them into trading him. Um, And, you know, kind of left with no other assets. There's a lot of talk about, hey, Zion, why would he want to stay in New Orleans? Why would he want to be here when he could be, you know, we'll even sign an extension after that rookie contract. And I think it's just great that he's there. This team is thriving. It's not a great basketball city. So, you know, from the NBA standpoint, they'd rather have Mm -hmm. a different market with this team, but I think it is, it is just great for the league in general. If a star like Zion and a team like new Orleans can thrive, despite what they have gone through in the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, This is one more win for the small market community out here. Uh, You know, not a guy who was trying to find his way to New York yet. Uh, We've seen a bunch of other stars do this. One more that liked it, wanted to stay. And I think everyone's got to do a mea culpa on David Griffin. He got a lot of shit for, you know, being lucky in Cleveland because he had prime LeBron and then all these moves they made around him didn't matter because, you know, LeBron and Kyrie were that good, led him to a title. Then the first couple years in New Orleans went really fast south quickly the anthony davis trade um then you know jj reddick came out and said what he said about the the communication how he was lied to and all these things meanwhile the team was not performing fired uh fired their coach so he gets to do a a huge victory lap lap right now like i I think all the kudos in the world to him and then willie green and what they've established so all right so we got to conclude with uh A, I guess, lighter topic, but it actually makes me angrier personally. Uh, The NBA deciding that they need a new gimmick every two months. Um, We just recently got over the Larry Bird uh, Eastern Conference Finals and Magic Johnson Western Conference Finals MVPs. Two months before that, we just got over the idea of the midseason play-in tournament getting real steam. We are now at maybe the worst part of whatever it is the NBA is trying to do to keep itself relevant, even though I don't feel like it really needs to try to do that too much. They have now renamed and rebuilt every single trophy in the league. Um, This was announced today. uh, So they have, you know, let's just not bury the lead here, the Michael Jordan MVP trophy, which is really special. And that one looks awesome, as you could expect. Uh, and the rest of them look terrible. What else have we got there? I got to pull up this list in front of me. Unless You've you got have
0: Clutch it. Player of the Year, the Jerry That's West the Trophy.
1: Worst. Yeah, let me come back to that. Go ahead.
0: Rookie of the Year, the Wilt Chamberlain Trophy. George Mikan, the Most Improved Player of the Year. Defensive Player of the Year is the Hakeem Olajuwon Trophy. And then Sixth Man of the Year is John Havlicek Trophy. Why? What was the need for this? So this is this is the one thing I think we both agreed that I, we don't like about Adam Silver's tenure is that it's unnecessary meddling with things that don't... Like, <laughs> Nobody's certain, asking for it. It's, no one's asking for it. Now, granted, the NBA has precedence with the Bill Russell Finals MVP, right? So this isn't a new concept. But it just seems a little tacky or and and who's to say you know in a couple of years it's not the the Hakeem Olajuwon trophy presented by Sprite or the John Havlicek trophy presented by Sprint like this naming can open itself to to multiple permutations with all the advertising as well it's it is Dude, a little tacky and and the fact that they've already yeah. done the regular season what was it the sorry western conference player of the playoffs yeah.
1: At Eastern Magic Conference, Johnson and Larry Bird. Yeah. So on top dude, of all that,
0: this go. is just too much.
1: Let me jump in really quickly. They already have that. It's the Michael Jordan Kia Most Valuable Player. Oh, the, it's
0: already sponsored.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, the logo literally says the Michael Jordan Trophy, Kia NBA Most Valuable. I
0: guess award. they all were already sponsored to begin with. I forgot that. Yeah, right. It's the Kia this at least
1: NBA. makes that part maybe a little bit better. But <laughs> my God, like like you said, nobody is asking for this. Nobody wants this. It's first of all, and what we should do right now is go through who the current players are that we would give these awards to name be named current after. or recent, recent players either either let's go let's go uh okay let's go recent they had to play in the 2000s 2010s and onwards yep um but yes i agree why metal why try to create this like social media league which again doesn't need his help to happen it's already happening um but as pt barnum once said uh i don't care what you say about me just spell my name right and it feels like he's taking a page out of that book
0: all right so let's go through these then all right let's start with mvp Michael Jordan, MVP. right name, anything better you can offer?
1: The Steph Curry MVP. Going by reasons only he unanimous helped. Steph Curry only is only unanimous un- MVP.
0: So that's the argument. Only unanimous MVP in history. Any other argument for Steph? Because he's only got two.
1: He's only got two. Nobody but LeBron.
0: He could so win Steph a third would this honest. year,
1: possibly. He yeah. Probably not, but Steph and LeBron. Sorry, LeBron has four. Steph and Giannis have two. And then the other argument you could make is for someone like Duncan, but he only has two also.
0: So I think so this one of,
1: would have to be LeBron. Yeah. He's I just clearly, didn't want to say,
0: LeBron. no, no, but here's the thing. Clearly, Michael Jordan being named, the, the, the trophy being named after him means it didn't go to the person with the most MVPs, because right. that would be Bill Russell. I guess because he's already no, be, got a trophy.
1: No, would be Kareem.
0: Oh, sorry, Kareem. Kareem. Yeah. Um, so if it's going to go to the best player ever, which I think is what their angle was, it should go to LeBron. But I get it. That, that's a contentious But so Here's novel. actually
1: a good question. Do you think Kareem should have gotten it, but he's already got another award named after him, but it's about social justice, which is important, but not on core production?
0: Well, the thing is, they it's wanted really to sure. shoehorn a, uh, an award for Michael Jordan, and he doesn't fit any of these other categories. So
1: you don't have to work. Well, he's won all of them pretty much, so you might as well shoehorn him for him. <laughs> um, all right, DPOY. Okay, this
0: one, it would have to be Rudy Gobert, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> people would be actively like people wouldn't want the, the award. award. Yeah, they'd be like no, we're okay. No, I was going to say if you're going to if you're going to expand it to recent, Tim Duncan. I'm going Dwight Howard. Oh, Dwight. Okay. Who won it I think four times in the sort of late 2000s early 2010s was also very hated similar to Rudy Gobert, but maybe that's just the personality of many great interior bigs. But I'm going Dwight or you could go Ben Wallace maybe. That would be a fun one.
0: Actually, I like Ben Wallace because if you want a player who did not do anything offensively and was purely a defensive player if you're naming the trophy after that. So like Dikembe would be another good one, a little bit older, but another example of purely their values on the defensive end. And Dwight was better on defense and offense, but still was a 20 point per game guy in Orlando. So
1: yeah. Okay. Fair rookie of the year. I have a, I have a lock for this. I have a lock for this too. You're going to say LeBron again? No. Should we just name him no, all No, it's LeBron? not LeBron. Mine is Tim Duncan. Okay. He came into the – now the only question is, is he too old to qualify for like – No, I'll give, saying, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Because he was drafted in 97, but obviously played up till like 2016. He was the best player or one of the five best players in the league his rookie season. He walked into the league as one of the best. He made All-NBA, made All-Star. If you remember, that was one of the biggest tanking jobs in, in the league's history to try to get the number one pick in 1997. I got to go Tim Duncan because not only... I mean, they won a title his second year, but the groundwork was laid right when he walked in the door.
0: Okay, that's fine. But once again, Tim Duncan, If it, if a player can be named for these other categories, I don't think they should be the name of the trophy.
1: Oh, can I guess yours then based on that precursor? Yeah. The Tyreek Evans Rookie of the Year Award. Exactly.
0: Ty. Okay. Look, Tyreek yeah. Evans is the perfect poster child because no other player. How many players peak their rookie season, and it's all downhill from there. And not only did he peak in Johnny his rookie Davis. season, he peaked with a season that was twenty-five and five, which only Oscar Robertson, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James have done in the rookie years. All three of those other players were known for more than just being a rookie. That's not why Luca. It's Tyreek Evans. Oh yeah, maybe Luca might have gotten that. I don't know. I have to check.
1: First of all, but Luca's Johnny Davis, anyway. I think gonna I think Johnny Davis is gonna peak his rookie year by virtue of not being <laughs> in the league anymore after that. So he's a contender here as well. I do like the idea that you name someone who's only known for that. Um but fine. I'll give you Tyreek Evans and again maybe that falls into the Rudy Gobert defensive player of the year camp of of people being, you know staying away from it like the plague, but all right, six man of the year, who do you got?
0: Lou Will. Gotta be yes. Lou
1: Will. Um, Lou
0: be. Will or Jamal Crawford. I think both of those, the same mold, just gunners, off the bench, microwave, uh, can also kill you in any given game, but can also bring you back from a 10-point deficit with the bench unit. I think that is the spirit of the award. More often than not, six man of the year goes to
1: a two-guard who is just a scoring machine. The only guy I would say, so yes, I had Lou Will as well. The only guy I would add has never actually won the award, which is Andre Guadalla, oh. because he pretty much came off the bench for the entirety of the Warriors' four titles. The last one, he was like the 11th man or the 12th man, so I'm not counting that. But if you look at the first three titles, he was pretty much their first guy off the bench, him and Sean Livingston and I think a big part of why they had so much success with the second unit with the death lineup. So he was the sub that they made to give them the death lineup. Um, and in fact, famously took himself out of the starting lineup for Harrison Barnes, who he thought was a better fit because of his shooting. So what more do you want than a six-man who does that?
0: That's not a bad one. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that,
1: Iguadala. All right, most improved this breaks the rule of being known for something else, but I think this improvement story is maybe the greatest in NBA history. It's certainly not George Mikan and how much better he got from 51 season to 52. Um, I did have him in fantasy that year though. That was pretty money, but um, this has got to be Giannis. Um, Giannis, what he did his rookie year, who was okay, but even what he looked like coming into the league and the Greek gym film that people had on him, not knowing what the hell to do with them, to become basically what I would say is consensus best player in the NBA, two-time MVP, DPOI, finals MVP, puts up a 50 ball in the game clinching, uh in the title clinching game six versus Phoenix. I don't know who's gotten better from starting point to end point or prime than than Giannis. I gotta give this to him.
0: I like the Giannis pick because he had multiple leaps of yes. improvement which I think the spirit of the award then, it would make most sense to go to him. Um, but I'm going to go somewhere more, somewhere more uh, out of nowhere. Um, and I'm the first guy I wanted to do was Flip Murray. But then I realized oh my God. his stats actually weren't that good. That one year he did really well with the Sonics. It was only that yeah. one month. I don't know if you remember, like his first month, he was averaging like 25 a game. Um, but he ended up averaging like 12 points.
1: If we're going one month, you got to go Linsanity at that point.
0: (laughs) And then the other player I was trying to look up, but I I kept getting the wrong list or the long stats was um, Mike James.
1: Because wasn't there a year he came out of nowhere and dropped 20 points a game? So ironically, there have been two Mike Jameses that have done that. Are you talking about the bald? point guard i'm talking about the the bald point
0: guard yeah not the most recent iteration of mike james um but every time i try to look up his stats i just get the old guy so (laughs) i don't have a good answer for this one but those are the first two names that popped in my head guys that came out of nowhere
1: now i'm trying to think of like true obscurity that turned into something How about when Corey Brewer had that 51-point game that one time? I think he was like the lowest points per game to ever score 50 points in an NBA game. Yeah. He was averaging like 9.8 points that season. So if you give him the one-game most improved award, that's him. Yep, yep. Um, All right. And then this new Clutch Player of the Year, which is one of the funniest. Like, in terms of was that necessary, I think um, uh, renaming awards that have already existed was like level – Two, adding new awards that, again, nobody asked for, and they're going to be mocked endlessly was like level 100. Yeah. <laughs> so we now have a new Clutch Player Award.
0: You know, the funny thing with the Clutch Player of the Year is going to be, I really wonder how they determined this one. Um, Or, sorry, how people vote for it, right? Because these are all going to be voted for,
1: right? Dude, the advanced stats nerds are going to be pissed. But th- that's what I'm saying,
0: say- right? This is one of those awards that I think all the other ones... The narrative and the stats kind of resemble each other, but I think the clutch one is where they could deviate the most. Like what the narrative is and what the stats show. Like, for example, De'Aaron Fox right now is the most clutch player in the NBA. He would not get a single vote
1: based on that. And Kobe Bryant would have won this like eight times over when his stats. Exactly. His advanced stats. Let's just say we're not very kind to him as a clutch player.
0: So I'll go narrative driven. If we have to name it, I would say Dame. Um, Dame. I don't actually know his stats off the top of my head, but he's got enough of those moments that we remember in critical playoff games that, uh, and I, you know, I hate Dame. So the fact that I'm putting him up here means a lot. So he'd be my clutch. Dude, he's team. been
1: dominating when he's played.
0: Oh, this year. He's
1: yeah. looked awesome this mm-hmm. We were both like writing him off. Like dude, watching those games in Tokyo, I was like, Oh my God. This he, dude's but he, um, he did look
0: bad. He looked
1: yeah. so slow. Uh, he looked like he couldn't dribble and he couldn't get by anyone yep so i also want to go to narrative driven because fuck the nerds on this (laughs) Uh, but i'm going a little bit more like you know underground answer that's a little bit more of like the true hooper mindset i'm going carmelo anthony
0: Ooh, i like it by the
1: way if you look at the advanced stats he does actually reflect one of the better clutch players just in terms of like Makes and misses in you know final two minutes or however they define clutch time, but I feel like when you're talking about certified bucket, one on one defense, press coverage, all that kind of stuff, sure you could go Durant, sure you can go Kobe, no question. Kyrie, if you know if you wanted, but I don't know if that's the shine's kind of worn off there for a little bit. I'm going Carmelo. I think especially those Knicks years and and of course the Denver years never got a chance on the big stage though. He never played in the NBA finals and it looks like his career may be done. So that's the one thing that kind of sucks, but I'm still going to take him.
0: I like that. I like Carmelo. Uh and I, you know You're a big
1: Carmelo guy. We know that.
0: I'm a huge Carmelo guy. Um his if you remember early on in LeBron's career when there was a when people who thought they were being a little smart used to try to say, "Oh, Carmelo is the better player because they're winning," uh, you know, he's on a winning team. LeBron's not really winning, etc. They play in a tougher conference. One of the big narratives was also that Carmelo was more clutch, and I think back then yeah. the numbers bore that out. Uh, but even in, in his time in New York, he the pull up threes, the Madison Square Garden gets rocking. It's
1: I like that. That's a good pick. Dude, and I got to look it up, but I'm pretty sure Melo didn't miss the playoffs for the first like 12 seasons of his career or something. He, oh, 12. I don't know. It was that
0: much. But yeah, he had a, a streak me, to let start let his career.
1: Because um, LeBron famously didn't make it the first two years, which always gets left out of the LeBron uh, Jordan being 0-3 conversation. Um, let's see this. But LeBron didn't make it. Melo made it <laughs> Oh, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 4 5-6, 7-8, 9-10. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Oh, those are just the seasons he played. All right. So he made it every year from 04 to 13. So 10 years. Wow. And then the last three, again, the Lakers, he didn't make it. I forgot. So (laughs) first 10 years of his career, he he made it every year. That was
0: still impressive. As the best player on his team every year. Yeah.
1: So, you know, he had some clutch moments. Maybe he didn't put it all together for a title, but he, he did several amazing things on the court.
0: He did, man. He did. I think it's sad that his career kind of just fizzled out. Um, but, but, yeah. But, but the, you know, going back to these awards, I think the other thing about them is the trophies look just like, – Just so atrocious. Like, I, they, I, you know, I commented on a different thread. They look like shot glasses. I don't know how big they are, but they didn't – This whole thing just seems tacky. I think we can all agree on that. It's not
1: like anybody knew what the Rookie of the Year trophy looked like, right? So they didn't have to do this. Now it just draws attention for no reason. And it's very confusing. Oh, we should mention Kobe does have one. He has the All-Star Game MVP.
0: Uh, Yeah, they did. Which,
1: again, was a super cool-looking trophy that I think they turned into this, like, monstrosity for no reason.
0: Yeah. So what what do they have today? There's the All-Star game. There's the Finals MVP. There's the Eastern Conference
1: player. Yeah, so it's Bill Russell's Finals MVP. It's Larry O'Brien Trophy for title. And then the Larry Bird and Magic Johnson corresponding comp- Conference Finals MVPs. Just wait till they give play-in tournament MVP. Play-in tournament. I think they did this to slight... TJ Warren is the play-in tournament MVP. The bubble MVP goes to Anthony Davis. Do you think they did this to slight LeBron because he's still playing and they're not going to rename it in like two years? These are all like fairly known guys. And if you waited like 20 years to do this, there's no way he doesn't get the conference finals MVP. Like he went to the finals 10 times. So obviously he had a lot of great conference finals.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's a slight LeBron, but I think them doing it now makes it a lot easier and less backlash than if they had to do this five years from now and there's going to be all kinds
1: of discourse around whether that's the right name.
0: No one's going to argue it's with actually, these.
1: It's better for the LeBron memes and for people making fun of him. It would have been better for them had they named the conference finals tr- trophy after him. So yeah. this is actually healthier for him to like avoid internet trolling.
0: Yeah, he probably doesn't want... Yeah, exactly. He doesn't <laughs> want that. <laughs>
1: So, all right that's a wrap for us I will see you very very soon um, for all those listening please rate review and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms please follow us on social media hey maybe we'll even post uh, quick snippets of our dance to show, show you guys that we have you know skill in the studio and on the floor so thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week